This is Kari Gale. And this is Tony Critz. Welcome to the Pilgrim Lost Podcast, a space for those who wander and wonder. Well, it's a it's a merry, merry, merry morning. And I'm here with my friend Kari Gale. Hello, Kari Gale. Good morning on this merry, merry morning. It's a merry, merry morning. Um, are you feeling very pilgrimy these days? Are you pilgriming? Um, I'm doing a little bit of pilgriming. Uh, I feel like I've been on the, a health pilgrimage lately, so that's been Ooh. that's been uh, really uh, taking up most of my time. So, yeah, I went on this journey. Went I say journey? I went on a journey to Zoom to my naturopath appointment, but. That journey has been a long while in the making, and you know I've shared I've shared with our community about some of the issues I've been having, and so it, it, I, I went and I uh, had an appointment, got some help, and um, I'm having some relief finally. Hey, I know this is going to be a shocker in the Northwest, but I am low in vitamin D. It happens. It happens. Yep. It's that overcast so, thing. It is. It is. And so this little vitamin D pill has been changing my life. So. I am, I'm really excited to be moving forward in that and just having a little bit of relief has been huge. So yeah, that's been my latest pilgrimage. Well, it's your fault. I've been taking vitamin D for the last two weeks, every day. Your fault. How have you been feeling? How have you been feeling? Well, I've been feeling pretty good. I haven't had any like really discernible depressive cycles, a little, a little sadness here and there, but um, that, and then the St. John's wart, I was telling you about that, like that, my therapist brother-in-law encouraged me to take. And that's been a great herb. I mean, for whatever reason, I feel good. And then I've been getting out more, you know, and the, the weather's actually not been that bad. So mm, I've been out on the been... kayak like three times a week the last few weeks. And I've had so some good. great sun and I've got caught in some really great downpours that were hysterical <laughs> and <laughs> super uncomfortable and, and, and great. So, you know, it's Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Well, I think it, I think mental health is at the top of a lot of people's minds right now. All of us in COVID, I believe it is. Are, I believe it are is. really um, experiencing these ups and downs that perhaps we haven't had before. And so, I'm actually super excited because today we have a guest that's gonna gonna walk us through some of that stuff. Um, and she is she is one of my very dearest friends from my childhood. Her name you is brought, Jill Riley. You brought you brought one of your dearest friends to be with us today. I did. I did all the so way from, all the way from Montana. And um, so Jill Riley sent me an introduction and oh, she said that I could introduce her as a pastor, an author, an amateur artist, and a lifelong learner. Oh, it sounds and very, then, very great. Yeah, very, very nice. And then a few minutes later, she sent me another introduction. She said, oh, actually, you could introduce me as a badass mama, a pastor, an author with an attitude, sarcasm, and mental illness. <laughs> And that is very chill. She's in one moment, she's very formal and polite. And the next moment she cracks you up and she's very self-effacing and she just, but I also know her. She's, she is wife to Kyle and mama to four, count them four, Emily. I think I get this in the right order. Emily, Alex, Brittany, and Taryn. Jill, am am I correct? You are correct. You got it right. (laughs) I, I, I know all the names, but sometimes I don't get them in the right order. <laughs> you got it perfectly right. Welcome, Jill. Thanks for coming and being hey, on, on Pilgrim Loss with us. Hey, thanks for having me on this merry, merry day. 
Jill and I have been friends since uh, the fifth grade in Mr. McGinnis's class way back, way, way, way back. back. <laughs> and um, she is one of the friends that I have kept in contact with uh, over my life from, from that early time. And she's had an incredible journey, an incredible life journey. And I wanted to bring her mm -hmm. on. Um, she's, she's had so many various experiences, but one of the biggest experiences that as of late that has really impacted her has been her journey with mental illness. And Jill, I just wanted to, I want you to share, um, maybe just share a little bit of, of your story and um, your background and maybe um, what brought you to be where you are in this moment. And then, and then we can kind of share what, what kind of came out of that. So um, sure. Sure. Well, I'll start with uh, the mental illness part and just kind of give you some some framework that I'm that I'm working with right now. And that is um, I've been diagnosed with a major depressive disorder, dysthymia, which is another kind of depression. I didn't even know there were different kinds of depression, but apparently there are. So I have two kinds of depression an anxiety disorder and um, I have a dissociative disorder. And uh, so all of those together have created this kind of cacophony of, of craziness in my life. Um, but that was all just diagnosed within the last five years. So my journey to, and I have complex PTSD, um, but my journey to, um, to discovering about my mental illness is kind of part of the story that I want to tell you and uh, has been more recent. And like I said, only within the last five years. So is it okay if I kind of back way up and tell you just a little bit about the history? Yeah, absolutely. One hey, of the before things you do oh, that, Jill, I, yeah. I totally want to go there, but um, you know, you just threw out a bunch of terms. Yes. That, um, that, I'm not particularly familiar with, and I think a lot of our community is not going to be familiar with. I don't yeah. need you to like give me a dictionary definition of, but could you just could you just share just a little bit? Um, I don't want people to begin from the standpoint of saying that you, that you're like a paralyzed human being because of these right. big words you just used, like, right? Like you, like you've got credible work that you do, you're engaging your community, you, you have a family that you love and you care for. Um, you're not, you're not coming from a place of paralysis, but more right. just an acknowledgement no. that there's, that there's pain in your past that you've had to significantly work through to be sort of in, in this, I don't, I'm very trying to be careful with my words, but, you know, uh, functioning, productive adulthood. Uh, right. Correct me. Correct my bad right. terms. No, I I think uh, the terminology is overwhelming. It was, certainly was overwhelming to me to, when I first discovered or was introduced to all of this. But we're all familiar with depression. But clinical depression just means um, your your brain just doesn't doesn't fire right and keeps your your mood and and everything at a damper. So imagine. Um, um, an imaginary line running, running horizontally and um, in the middle of a page. And that is where a uh, average person's mood might be. A depressed person's mood might be 
two inches below that line and that's right. their normal. And dysthymia just means that you have kind of a wavy line that goes across that center line that says um, you, you kind of go up and down gradually depending on, um, depending on circumstances, but it's a clinical term. Um, anxiety disorder just means um, that uh, you're, you're anxious. We're all familiar with anxiety, but again, it means that that line, you imagine that horizontal line, your anxiety and your um, perceptions of threats and of circumstances that may be stressful is going to be two inches above that, above that, that I want, I don't want to say normal. I want to say average line there. And so those two things kind of fight against each other. You would think that they would balance each other out, right? Because you would say, (laughs) you would say, Hey, I'm anxious and I'm depressed. And maybe if you add the two together, I get, I get some sort of normalcy, but that's, that's not the case. Complex PTSD is a more severe, we're, we're familiar with post-traumatic stress syndrome. Um, That's a term that came out in the fifties that um, was initially called shell shock because it was uh, it was a term that was used for soldiers coming back from war that were that were reacting to a threat as if it was current threat, but they were reacting to it at a time when they were actually safe. And that's what post-traumatic stress disorder does is you feel like you're in a, you're in a threatening situation or a previously harmful situation and you're reacting to it in real time. And so complex PTSD is an exaggerated form of that, which comes with, um, which comes with added, uh, depression and anxiety and, and, um, added complications. So it's just a more severe form of that. And a dissociative disorder is when you, there's different kinds of dissociative disorders, but a dissociative disorder is when you, your brain basically takes a break. And um, the best way to describe dissociation is, you know, when you're driving on the freeway and all of a sudden you realize you're three exits past where you're supposed to be, your brain has taken a break and gone someplace else for a while. Or say you're reading a book and all of a sudden you realize you're two chapters ahead and you have no idea of what the last two chapters were, your brain was someplace else. Everybody dissociates. Dissociative disorder means you do that on an unconscious level where, um, where it's, it's harmful and disruptive in your life. So say you perceive a threat or some, some, somebody triggers you with, uh, some kind of story that reminds you of your previous trauma and your brain checks out and goes someplace else. And, um, and you don't eat, there's dissociative amnesia, which means you don't remember that time, or there's, um, dissociative fugues where you get stuck in a, in a rotating cycle of, of your brain thinking you're in a threat. Um, in my case, I have dissociative identity disorder, which was previously known as multiple personality disorder, which sounds really scary and really freaky because we've seen so many movies and heard so many stories about, um, you know, where you all of a sudden are in a different place and you change clothes and you change personalities and you don't know, you don't know who you are and you you're talking to people who you've never met. Um, that's the exaggerated Hollywood version of it. The realized version of it is that my brain is segmented into 
into different parts that will um, come out and, and be a part of conversations that I'm not really aware of. Mm -hmm. um, of course, it happens more with my therapist because we're triggering trauma and trauma is always the, is always the trigger for that. So um, those are just some kind of layman's definitions. Great. Does that help? Oh, it's great. Super. It's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to, to disrupt you because you were going to go into the Wayback Machine and tell us some of your no, story. No, it's over. It's, it's overwhelming. Um, and I forget that the terminology, you know, I've done a lot of research and a lot of had time to do a lot of learning about it. So yeah, it's a good reminder. So, so my story is, and I'll just tell you real kind of briefly, I'll give you the highlights version of it. Um, but uh, my story is I was abandoned in Korea um, when I was born. So I was in an orphanage and then I was adopted um, into the United States and I was adopted to a family in Detroit and they decided they didn't want me. And so then I was adopted at the age of like two and a half. I was adopted to a family in Reno, Nevada. So you know, if you know anything about bonding and attachment, by the time I was two and a half, I still didn't have a chance to bond with anybody because of all of the, um, all of the, the trauma there. The family that I was adopted into was, um, was quite messed up. I um, have other terms I'm not sure that I can use on this podcast. So <laughs> But they were they were a hot mess. But um, my father was a pornographic photographer and um, was involved in trafficking and involved uh, my sister and I in that. And um, so there was a lot of sexual abuse from early childhood on. And um, so quite traumatic events um, from my childhood, some of which I remember and some of which are um, just indicated by my by my mental health. Um, my mother tried to get us away from away from him. And so we moved to North Idaho, which is where I met the fabulous Kari Gale. Um, but we I was raised in North Idaho uh, in the in interesting side side note in the 80s when I was raised in North Idaho is when the white supremacists were taking over North Idaho so here's these little Korean kids we were on the front page of the newspaper because you know here you have three ethnic kids and one family in the middle of this white North Idaho but uh, my mother was especially cruel uh, she was an abuser. She, I've been beaten um, more times than I can imagine. I have memories of blood running down my back. I have memories of um, missing school because of being beaten so badly. And all of this was hidden. Nobody knew um, what was going on. Um, you know, Kari was one of my very best friends, we had sleepovers, we had, and her, you know, her parents suspected, other friends' parents suspected there was things going on, but nobody ever knew it was so closeted. So, um, but I also had another family member that uh, violently sexually abused me over a course of many years. And that, that happened during uh, my, my early junior high years and late, late grade school years. And that, all kind of culminated into me running away from home 
and ending up in foster care and eventually being emancipated and going on to college and getting married and the rest of adult life things. So that's kind of the trauma history uh, that that happened in my life that set me up for the life of craziness that I led. And then following that, I just worked really hard. I was a workaholic. I tried to accomplish all the things, do all the things, learn all the things. And I think everybody used to ask me, what are you running away from? And I was like, I'm not running away from anything. I'm just working hard. I'm doing what I was taught to do. But really, truly, I was masking all of the all of the pain that was happening underneath and trying to escape the, the, the triggers and the trauma that was going on underneath in my brain. And uh, five years ago, I was still in this workaholic mode. I had started a church. I come from a faith history. I come from a evangelical history where I, where I pastored and served in the faith community for the entirety of my life from 17 on. And uh, I was in the midst of five years ago, I was in the midst of this, this crazy church planting. I was acting as a business consultant. I had a photography business. When I say overachiever, I really mean I was trying to be the ultimate overachiever, but I ended up, I had a major mental crash and my brain just completely shut down. And I ended up in a mental hospital for three months, which is where all of the diagnosis came in. And so that's kind of what has brought me to where my current journey is, which we can talk about. And so that's kind of the foundation that has led me to trying to become a voice for advocacy for those who have mental illness and for understanding and education for those who want to understand more about that. So that's kind of a long highlight, but uh, I invite you to tear it apart a little bit and ask, ask me more. I mean, just, it's, um, I still get emotional when I hear a friend. Yeah. It's overwhelming that you lived through all of that with me and didn't know. Yeah. But I do want to say that uh, just to bear witness that, that you, you were always this person that I, I thought was a, such an amazing person. You, regardless of what was going on behind the scenes, you were such a light to people, mm. such a mm. light. Thank you. And, and God, you made us all up our game because we were all trying to keep up with you. <laughs> you were, we were, we were, um, you know, uh, I, I just remember how, how passionate you were about things and how, how excited you were about things. And I think that's another thing that um, breaks sort of this idea of mental illness is that we have a perception of what a person with mental illness looks like. Right. And, and to, to, to have grown up with you and see you being this incredibly high achieving person and, and not know what was going on behind the scenes um, was, was so shocking. That was so shocking. Um, but it, it changed my perception of how, how I view people and how I perceive, you know, just because someone looks like they're doing okay is not 
is not that's not the full story um, i think sometimes we have a view of mental illness we see people uh on the street who are who are home, unhomed and and we think oh they're probably dealing with mental illness or we see people in shelter situations or in um, poverty and we think well there's probably mental illness involved and there seems to be this uh this understanding that mental illness is a perhaps lower socioeconomic problem or a lower functioning problem. And um, really it's so much broader than that. And we have to expand our understanding. So once when, you, oh, go ahead, go ahead, Tony. Well, when I hear your story, here's what I heard you say is that this is what it sounded like. Um, that incredible pain from your childhood and, and multidimensional, but you sort of learn to be high achieving, to be workadelic in order to sort of stuff the hurt until there was a snap five years ago. And that was the first time you really engaged um, these underlying stuffed realities. Is that true? Is that, is that, did I hear you correctly? That's about 98% true. I did seek mental health, mental help um, throughout, especially initially right after um, I got out of my mother's home. Um, and I did have some mental health counseling, which kind of um, led to the crash because stuff started to surface, but mm -hmm. before, before I ended up in the hospital. So there were different stages in my life where I, I did seek help knowing that there was things under the surface that were disruptive, but for the most part, yes, that, that summary is true. There was just incredible pain and I stuffed it and, and tried to work it out of my system. Wow. When you, when you got to, um, just, I just want a little more information or a little more, um, clarification when you got to the hospital, were you, was it a relief? Was it a, was it like, oh my gosh, I, the stuff that's been under the surface, I'm finally going to deal with it. Or was it, were you resistant at that point? Oh my gosh. No, I had actually gone to this location for a five day workshop on trauma and it was to understand childhood trauma and how, to, how it affected, was affecting my day daily life. And the first day, one of the lead therapists said to the group, she said, she said, you need to understand you're on a three to five year journey to trauma healing. And I, in my mind was like, listen, lady, I'm here for three to five days and that's it. I'm, I'm not on a three, I'm not on the three to five year train. Hmm. And, and interestingly enough, the inpatient facility and the outpatient uh, workshop participants were mixed together for this particular workshop. And I was looking around at people with eyes that were, um, were kind of exclusive and looking around at people and going, man, I hope what they have isn't catching because I don't really want mental illness. And I was wow. worried about, I was worried about 
being mixed up in these small groups with inpatients. Turns out I was with mostly inpatients and you, you began to learn that the great equalizer in life is that there's pain and that there's struggle and we, um, we all have it and how we deal with it is, is different, but we all have parts of our life that are painful that we, that we have to work through. Right. And so, but I had a major mental crash on the third day and they called me in after this incredibly tough session. And they said, we really think you need to be inpatient. And I was so overwhelmed wow. and confused. And my brain was not working right because it was in the middle of this crash. And I agreed to it. And, and all of a sudden I'm in this intake and they're asking me if I have superpowers or if I see other people in the room, or if there are other people talking to me that aren't in the room or the, my favorite question was a superpower, you know, do you have any superpowers? But, you know, they ask all these invasive What was questions. your answer? I, you know, I didn't even have anything creative to say. I should have, <laughs> I, <laughs> Now I reflect on that and I think, man, I should have had something really fun to say, but I didn't. But, um, but while you're doing this, they're going through all your luggage and they took away my knitting needles and they took away my paintbrushes. Like I'm going to stab somebody with my paintbrush. You know, I knew they would take away, you know, like leg razors, but they took all the shoelaces out of my shoes. So you couldn't hang yourself. And wow. it's just this crazy stripping of, of all of what is familiar to you, you know, they take your phone, you're cut off from the outside world. All of a sudden you're in their world and in their control. And I was incredibly resistant to it because I didn't know what was happening. I didn't even know why I was there. I had no idea what they meant when they said that I had had a major um, psychiatric episode and needed to be inpatient. I didn't even know what it meant. So it was absolute confusion. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you, again, I'm, I'm just trying to listen. And so I imagine you as a, I can do anything, get out of my way. Nobody <laughs> can stop Jill. She's a force of nature. And then suddenly your, your shoelaces are taken from you and you're hospitalized. And what, what was the process of kind of coming to terms with I can't take over the world all by myself. And maybe that's not a fair way of saying it, but that's what I'm imagining. It was immediately devastating because one I had in my mind, you know, this, like I previously said, I had in my mind that, you know, mentally ill people were them. I didn't have an us mentality. Right. And so I didn't, know why I belonged. And this facility is also because so many people who are dealing with trauma, it's a trauma-based facility, but because so many people who are dealing with trauma deal with it through addiction, it's also a rehab and recovery facility and a detox facility. And so I had all these people around me that were detoxing and, and being medically supervised for that. And I don't have those complications. And so it, it was, it felt like all of the things that held me up and all of the things that made kind of the skeleton of my self-confidence, like my, my work and my family and my, 
art, artistry and all of the things that kind of gave me structure were just taken away. And I was this big puddle and nobody knew me and nobody cared to know my history in the sense right. of, you know, my accomplishments. And so when you take all of that scaffolding away, uh, it becomes your confidence goes with it. Wow. I think this, this idea of identity, you know, all of us are create this structure and, and we, we count, we don't realize how much we are depending on it until it's right. Right. In that swift moment that was all removed from you. And, and, and then to be almost being given this other identity that you were like, no, this is not me. I'm not, you know, Right. And you're put in like my name tag says, you know, interestingly enough, we always laugh because they take your shoelaces away and then they give you a lanyard to put around your neck with your name tag on it. And I'm like, well, the irony of that, <laughs> but, um, but this lanyard, you know, has Joe R on it and it has a group that you're a part of and you start looking around and you see other people that are part of this silver group and you realize, oh my God, like, I'm not like them. Why am I in that group? And until mm -hmm. you kind of acclimate to uh, to this the environment, you it it still feels like a them and us. To to me, it did, um, and I think to most people who I've talked to, it it feels that way. Okay, so JillRiley.com, J-I-L-L-R-I-L-E-Y.com uh, is your is your sort of online portal and it's all about the fact that you've got you've had this tremendous journey with mental health like right. it's not your lead foot like you went from i got it all together stay out of my way i can take over the world and now your lead foot is just admitting that like i'm fragile and i've been through all this pain and let me tell you about it and let me I, how did you come to the point you're like i'm i'm so not just accepting myself but like now I, i'm actually like leading with that out into the world? Well, I started it off as a hundred day write. I've always wanted to be a writer. Um, you know, Cara and I used to do this little school newspaper and I always remember that I, I, I wanted to be a writer before I wanted to be a minister, before I wanted to be a, a mom. That was always a thing that I wanted. And so I had started that process of becoming more official or more proficient, I guess I should say, uh, before I went to the hospital. So I was kind of on this journey of thinking about sharing about my life. But about a year after I came home, after I came home from the hospital, I spent about nine months where I was pretty agoraphobic, couldn't go out. The world was too overstimulating. I couldn't wow. take care of my family. Um, I was pretty sequestered. I only left house to go to therapy and go to yoga. That's all I did. And, but just following that time, I thought, okay, enough of this. This is who I am. This is a part of who I am. It doesn't define me, but I want to share it. So I'm going to write this hundred day blog about myself. And I just agonized over it. I, I did the first 10 and I thought this is ridiculous. And then I, I just came to a point, Tony, where I was like, okay, if I put this out there and nobody reads it, it's okay because I just want to tell my story. I just mm. want to say that mental illness isn't, isn't the 
the death of a person or somebody's personhood, it's a mm -hmm. part of the fabric of who they are and it's an okay part. And so I put it out there and I felt like the emperor's new clothes. I felt like I was completely naked because I was telling the world that mm. I was, that I was not perfect and that I was, that I was sick. But, um, I, I thought that was important to be able to own it and share something about it. So yeah, jillreilly.com became my, became my voice a little bit into the first, my first foray into sharing what mental, mental illness and mental health meant to me. It sounds like too, that that moment, that step was, was more, way more abs about you than it was about right. other people. It was about you owning, owning it. And Almost then, like to normalize the language within yourself, within the way you identify yourself, the way you expressed yourself and told your story. That's what it sounds like. I agree with Corey. Yeah. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't about anybody else. It was, it was for me to be able to say, okay, I can embrace this a little bit, mm. a little bit. <laughs> small steps. Well, so here's the, here's the, the really interesting thing is that we just recently, um, were chatting and reconnecting. And I, when I invited you on the podcast, one of the reasons that I wanted you to share is that you're really sort of launching a new phase of, of jillreilly.com and, and your podcast, which is called post-traumatic faith. And you, you, you had kind of taken a break from, from the podcast, but really in the next, I think in the next month, um, you're yes, going to be beginning of April, April 2nd, we're okay. relaunching post-traumatic faith. And, and in this particular, um, launch, you're going to start inviting folks in to share their stories. So you're, you're, can you tell us a little bit more about that? I find that fascinating because, you know, you, you went from this, this very internal and, and, you know, like struggle that you were, you were essentially alone in that space, sharing where you were at the very beginning of being hospitalized and having to come to terms with that. And then over the course of, dare we call it a pilgrimage, yes. over the course of that journey, you're now in a space where you are um, able to invite other people to tell their stories. And, you know, tell me a little bit about that and why you think that's so important. Well, I feel like I'm in the middle of a transition, you know, how you can see different, different steps coming in your life. I feel like this is another, another marker along the way and in inviting other people into, into the story, because I realize that obviously I'm not the only one with trauma and obviously my particular kind of trauma is not the same as everybody else's. I started a list and started writing down all different kinds of traumatic events that can happen to people. And I realized that I have a wealth of people, um, which I don't know, that sounds weird, but I, I do. I have a wealth of people that I know that have gone through traumatic events and come through with different understandings of who they are and what their faith looks like and what their life means to them because our experiences affect us in ways that are both positive and negative and they, they expand who we are uh, tremendously. And so... And so I decided that I wanted to ask uh, people about what, what it looks like 
after, after a traumatic event, because I know what it looks like for me, but I want to know from other people what it looks like for them. So for instance, one of our first, our first guests is a gentleman that um, has tried to commit suicide several times. And one of those times, I'm the one who pulled him out of his apartment, half, half dead, he shouldn't have made it, he swallowed everything in his apartment, drank everything in his apartment and shouldn't be alive. And he's alive. He has two, two twin girls. Now he's got a family of five and is alive and thriving. And, and I want to know what, what does that look like after that kind of traumatic event? And how does that change the essence of how you look at life? And so, and so I, I just want to know more about other people and how they, how they process what they've been through. Jill, I've got, I have a question for you. Um, Hit me. And you know, so much of Pilgrim Lost is about sort of life in the everyday and moving towards wholeness. And um, I wonder if you could just take a moment, and maybe this question is not helpful um, for you, but so you just, I mean, your story is overwhelming. And the story of the friend you just talked about is overwhelmed. Like I hear those stories, I just go, oh my gosh. But there's there's a reality that moving towards wholeness is for everybody. You talked earlier about right. an us and them mentality. It's not as them over there and it's not me, you know? And I was raised in a home where like going to, going to a therapist or a counselor was like, you would never do that. Like that's that's something for sick people. Like I would never. Right. And I've, and yet in my adulthood, I've been to therapy like five times has been amazing for me. You know, I'm like, I'm like such a proponent of it, you know, and um, could you just talk about the, the, um, the reality that this is not an us, them thing that all of us, all of us need a little bit of help at times. And do you have any thoughts on that? You know, I, I had a, a mentor that said to me that any leader and he was con talking in context of leadership, any leader that doesn't have a therapist is creating malfeasance upon themselves, is creating harm on themselves. And, and I really believe that. I believe that everybody needs a different voice to help them to walk and to journey through their lives and to see it through a different lens because we all have stuff and it builds up and it, and it creates a residual in our life that can be, can be damaging. And I think to have a dedicated person who is, who is trained and invested in helping you to excavate and sometimes just wipe off some of the cred that's in our lives is really essential and important. Our friends do that for us. Our family do that for us. But sometimes, sometimes we just need somebody who's just a step away that can help us do that. I'm, uh, I'm really excited to see this next evolution of, of your podcast and of your blog, because I really do feel like with your, um, your history as a pastor and investing in people. And one of the things that when you would share with me, um, over the years of being a pastor, like you, you just love on people and you have a, a capacity to do that. That is, um, I mean, I always look at pastors and they, they, the ability that they have to step into situations and really care and nurture. And there are different types of pastors. There's teaching pastors, but I, uh, I really 
I think that that you bringing that that um, history, that experience, that expertise of just loving and caring for people in the midst of allowing them to share their story and and be vulnerable because it's so it's so hard to be vulnerable and your whole journey of sort of making step by step coming to a place mm-hmm. of you know acknowledging what happened to you and then being vulnerable enough to share it i mean that's that's a big deal i i you know i've shared with our community that i'm a 3 on the enneagram and i'm all I'm about i'm a 3 <laughs> i didn't know that about you i'm a 3 with a 4 wing shut oh. up me too I'm getting off the podcast now. This is going to about to get crazy. (laughs) But the interesting thing about that is both of us are very concerned about how other people view us. Right. And so to be in a space where you um, take down those walls and you start letting people in, that's a huge step. And it's, it's, I mean, I, I feel like it's a huge step for health for both of us. Um, And um, I just want to see how much I admire that. So thank you. I, I feel honored that people will talk to me and share some of their journey and their pain because I'm asking, I'm asking for the most vulnerable parts of people. And, and you do that, you do that here. You ask people to, to share their, their journey and that can be very revealing and can Mm -hmm. feel very naked. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I'm asking for. But in that, I think we help other people tell their story. I think story begat story, right? The more that we, the more that we share with one another, the more we see it's okay for me to say, I'm not whole and I'm not perfect. And I, I don't have it all together. And you know what? That is, that is okay. Jill, is there anything else that you would want to share with us that perhaps you haven't at this point? You know, I think the biggest thing that is important when you're dealing with mental health and mental illness is to break down stigmas. We have, we have such predefined boxes that we want to put people in. This person is, um, this person is mentally ill. This person is bipolar. This person is, um, is divorced. This person is crazy or any, any number of little boxes that we want to put people in. And we really need to break down those stigmas and begin to see people as people and see them as themselves with their stories rather than by their challenges, complications, history, uh, any of those other things. I, if there's anything that I want to do, it is to break down the stigmas of what people think mental illness and mental health is. Mm. So hopefully, hopefully post-traumatic faith can be a part of that. And then a couple of months after that gets underway, we'll be, um, I'll be relaunching the blog also. Great. Awesome. Well, I, I will be definitely sharing all of that on our, on our, um, our page and to our listeners. Um, I just, I th- want to thank you for being so vulnerable yeah. with us. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks Jill. for having me. 
And everybody, you can uh, read more from Jill at jillreilly.com and look for the reboot of Post Traumatic Faith Podcast coming soon. Kari, always wonderful to be with you. Mm, thank you. You too. Thanks for Thanks sharing everybody. your friend. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm very proud of her. Incredibly proud of her. Wow. And everyone, hope that you are doing well. And um, thank you for walking with us. Thanks for getting lost with us. Thank you for walking with us. To stay connected, visit us at pilgrimlost.com. Please comment, share, and respond.